Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Do you ever just want to give your teenager like amazing advice about something, but you can't really think about what to say, or you're not exactly sure what the right advice is that they need at the time? Well, Mark Feinberg has got you covered. He's today's guest on our show, and he's written a book called Dad's Great Advice for Teens. In this book, Mark goes into all the advice he's collected over his time as a parent of four different kids and pulled it all into 25 great pieces of advice and a couple of bonus ones. I'm really interested to pick his brain on how parents can teach their kids some of this stuff. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Talk to me about this book. The book is Dad's Great Advice for Teens. And a pretty bold statement there. Uh, What (laughs) makes you so sure this is great advice? Where did it all come from? And what inspired you to put it all down in a book? Yeah. Well, I'll start with the the last one. That's the easiest one. My four kids... They're spread out in age. And I, you know, when they were younger, I would give one of them a piece of advice and I'd think, oh, that was actually, you know, uh, not great advice, but that was good advice. And I'd write it down so that when the other kids were old enough, I'd, I'd tell to them. So I started writing down the messages I wanted to give to my kids. And the list got longer and longer and the document got longer and longer. And I just decided, you know, when they turned 13, I'm going to hand them this, you know, Bible. Back then it was called uh, Great Advice from Your Father. And when each of them turned 13, I went over to Kinko's and printed it up and gave them a little bound book. And eventually I realized, oh, well, you know, my kids like it. Maybe other kids will like it too. And that's sort of how it developed. Uh, How I know it's great advice. uh, So listen, I'm pretty humble about it. I've been humbled many times as a father. I've given great advice to my kids only to have them turn around and challenge me and give me what the real great advice was. And I was more than happy and proud to say, oh, you know what? My advice was awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's field it's tested. All, exactly, it's field tested and, and still developing. I, I, uh, I've actually invited my readers to, to challenge me and I told them, you know, if I like your rebuttal, I'm gonna put it in the next book and say, here's my great advice. But, you know, John here has some different advice that's probably even better. Hmm. So I want it to be a living document in that sense. That's cool. I like that. And so your kids felt like they have been following this advice. They got that Bible at age 13. And how did it go over? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, certainly, let, let, first of all, let's be honest. They don't take all my advice. Yeah. Right? No kids couldn't take all the advice. If I'm happy. You know, there's 25 pieces of advice in my book, plus a few bonus ones. If they take one or two, I'm I'm a happy father, and I'm I'm proud that I can help them. Um, so so that's you know the 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 bar is a little bit lower. Um, but I, I'll tell you this: there's some there are some easy topics in my book that I've talked to them about directly, and that they enjoy talking about. You know, making the best use of their time. You know, being being their own person. You know, don't 
don't try and make your parents happy, make yourself happy. And, you know, um, but then there's some other parts that are a little bit harder to talk about, like drugs and drinking and sex and smoking and vaping. And I think they appreciated getting that advice from me in written form rather than in discussion. Right. Form. Yeah. It's and that's not to, to say we haven't discussed it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and you know, because they, they get embarrassed about it. Right. And so, you know, that's not to say I haven't spoken with them about those topics, but I think, you know, they like getting it delivered when I'm not in the room. And I think that's what parents have found great about this book is they buy this book, you know, they read it themselves to get some advice. And then they simply leave the book on their, their kid's bed and let the rest happen. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating never having conversations with your kids, you know, use this as a tool. And, and when you do have conversations with your kids, my, my biggest tip is, don't look them in the eye. They hate eye to eye contact. So I always, whenever I have my big conversations, I'm always like side by side driving yeah. or, or sitting in, in bed, you know, looking out, at, you know, they don't want to look you in the eye when, when you're talking about drugs or sex or anything. Yeah. That feels intimidating. That's like, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, you know, and I can't stare to look, you know, one of my kids uh, who shall remain nameless uh, actually when they were younger, used to hide under a blanket whenever we talk about this, and I have to have the whole discussion <laughs> with with someone under under a blanket. Whatever works, hey, you know. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> as long as they're listening and, and digesting, I'm I'm happy. So, why do you think that? It's so important to teach teenagers about the importance of figuring out who they want to be and to focus on their own definition of what they want in life rather than what their friends and parents want for them. Yeah, so uh, I, I think that defining your own success is, is key to you know, what makes us all happy. And I think there's a lot of adults these days in therapy right now because their parents didn't do a good job of getting that across to them. Um, You know, there's a chapter in my book that probably is one of the more controversial ones called Don't Make Your Parents Happy. And the key there is as, as parents, we think we know what causes us and our kids to be happy. A successful career, a lot of money, finding someone in our lives, a, a spouse or a significant other who is in our same religion or our culture or our, you know, the same background. And when it comes right down to it, I think uh, eventually our, our kids, our generation, the next generation have, has figured out that even though we share the same genes with our, our parents, we don't share the same dreams of our parents. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage teens and I encourage the parents to figure out what makes them happy. And if it's not, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, then do what it is that, that's going to bring you happiness because your parents are going to talk about your career and it's going to bring them happiness in the 1% of the time that they're sharing, you know, their amazing kids accomplishments right. with their yeah. friends. But you're going to have to live the 99% of it, you know, day to day. And if you don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer, then you're the one suffering. So that makes the most sense. And, and certainly, you know, especially when it comes to you know, dating people and finding the, the person you want to settle down with, parents' idea of what's going to make you happy is oftentimes really far from what's going to make the, your, your teen happy. 
I just tell parents, be careful about pushing your kid towards someone of a particular background or race or religion or political party. Tell that kid, I want you to be happy. And if it's with someone from a different race, religion, political party, you know, as long as they treat you like a king or a queen, that's what's going to make everybody happy. You have a great discussion in here about how to tell if someone really likes you, how to tell how someone really feels about you <laughs> based on their actions versus their words. Why do you think this is so important and how can parents teach this skill to their teens? Yeah, I think for teens in particular, it, it comes down to, you know, the, 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 the summary of it is, don't believe a word your boyfriend says or don't believe a word your girlfriend says. Believe what they do. You know, actions speak louder than words. And, and it just comes down to hammering that home because especially, you know, in the teenage years where the intersection of sort of finding your morals and ethics and honesty and the intersection of becoming sexually active and interested in, you know, developing a relationship with whoever it is that you care about, you know, those things intersect and, and one often wins out. And it's not just with boys lying to girls about it, right? That's the cliche. Right. And I was really careful when I wrote that chapter, you know, not to stereotype it as don't believe a, a word a boy says, because uh, girls will do it too. So uh, no one's no one's impervious to it. At this age, especially when you're starting a new relationship, take it for what it is. Listen to all the nice things that your partner says to you and about you, but realize that it's easy to fake the words and it's not so easy to fake spending time together, doing nice things for the other person, spending hours and hours just hanging out with them. That's what really proves that somebody wants to be with you for something more than just the sexual gratification. So what are the, what it, it's basically just looking for whether they're investing time and energy in the relationship versus if they're not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different signals and, and signs and I go through a lot of, you know, the details, but, but it does really come down to that. It's, it's, yeah. you know, separate out the things that they do from the things that they say. I mean, I, one, one of the big warning signs to me is always, Hey, do you want to do something this Saturday? Right. And your significant other says, Oh, that sounds good. Let's see how it goes. Or the, that to me is a signal that, mm -hmm. okay, I want to leave my options open because there's right. a very good chance I'll find something to do with somebody that I like more than you and yeah, I want to right. spend more time with. And, uh, and you're my fallback. With you, with you is like the highest priority, then, um, well, you jump yeah. at the opportunity, <laughs> right? I'll right? yeah. schedule things around it. Well, let's just Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, those are the actions that can't be faked, right? If you're really just interested in someone, you know, because you want to fool around with them, you don't allocate your whole Saturday to spending time with them. Right. You you say, hey, you know, at the end of the night after the party's over, can I come over? Yeah, yeah. And right. listen, if that's the relationship you've developed with someone, then fine. But when you're trying to figure out someone's feelings, I just advise my my girls and my son. It's nice to hear those things, but some people aren't sincere. And to figure out who the sincere ones are, look at what they're doing and not what they're saying. You talk about the importance of creating things, being a creator, not 
a consumer. And you're not necessarily talking about making beautiful works of art or writing poetry or something like that. You have a different kind of take on what it means to create. What are you talking about? Yeah, so th this one's a much more of, you know, one of the more ephemeral uh, pieces of advice I give in the book in that it, it, it really comes down to doing rather than being inactive. So consuming, I define as watching TV, listening to music, consuming in a big way, social media, right? Watching yeah. TikTok videos and, and posts and, and all that. And listen, I, I don't say don't do that. That brings us enjoyment and enjoyment's important and everybody wants to unwind and relax. Right. But that stuff is so easy to do and it's such mind candy for us. It's so relaxing and, and enjoyable. And, and guess what? In some cases, educational, right? There's some really informational you know, posts and YouTube videos out there that make us better people. Right. But I also think it's important, especially for teens, to, to be a creator too. And, and so I define creating as not just painting and writing and draw, but also create your own social media posts, create your own TikTok videos, create your own uh, Instagram photos, right. and also wider than that, right? Like try and build a, a presence, try and build a website, a blog, you know, because, you know, developing, developing your interests as a teen, I, I feel like it used to be easier. Now, listen, I was distracted by the television when I was a kid. So yeah, there was right. a lot of, now it's just a computer screen instead of a television screen. But, you know, when, when the TV goes off, we were drawing or building Legos or writing or doing whatever. And I do think that that builds creativity in kids, right? If you look at the most popular, the most viewed TED talk of all time, it's all about how schools and schoolwork haven't uh, developed to modern times and they suck the creativity out of our children. Yeah. So I, I think that focusing on being a creator and not a consumer helps our kids keep some of what I think school takes away from us and our kids. We don't just want to create these robotic automatons that, you know, know algebra and calculus and history and reading and writing. We also want to create people who can creatively problem solve, right? Even if you become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, being great at those jobs requires thinking out of the box and creating new solutions to problems that haven't been seen in the legal field or haven't been seen even in the accounting field. Yeah. And so I think being a creator uh, at it for teenagers is important to develop that skill that I don't think schools do a great job of, of handling these days. So what can you do as a parent if you see your kid doing a lot of consuming and passively watching and sitting in front of the screens and binging Netflix? What kind of thing could you do to sort of, uh, you know, motivate them to start doing more creating? Yeah, that's, uh, that is not an easy problem. I'll tell you that. We, <laughs> uh, I have tested many, many solutions. Some have worked better than others. So I'll, I'll tell you the, the top ones that I, I recommend. The first one is the toughest. And that is like a lot of different areas in, in parenting uh, model good behavior yourself, right? Ooh. If you're a parent that comes home from work no, next. and sits in front of the TV, I know, it's tough, <laughs> it's tough right? If you're, if you're watching TV from the moment you get home from work until you go to bed, there's probably not much you can do to make them do it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would start with yourself, but I would also, I would also set some time limits. And so yeah. we have struggled with our kids in finding what that right time limit is and more importantly, how to enforce it. 
without being totally draconian in, in our measures. Right. And so the best thing I can recommend is make a deal with them. And the deal for our kids is you keep track of your creating versus consuming time. And, and we help them define what that is. And we say for every hour uh, you spend creating something, you can spend two hours consuming. And, okay. and, and they feel like they're winning in hey, that well, negotiation. that's two to one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we, start, we started with a one-to-one and we realized, okay, we need, they need more inspiration. Mm, um, yeah. Now here's the funny thing. You know, these, these teens, they're brilliant negotiators. <laughs> they should be running all the union negotiations and all the negotiations around <laughs> the world because they have an amazing way of redefining what creating well, is see, versus technically consuming. what I was doing was, and yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I got I got roped into giving my kids TikTok because they said, "Oh, well, you know, we're going to be making these great videos creating. and dancing and learning dance." Yeah, and that's yeah. creating. And I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds really mm-hmm. good. Okay." And sure enough, then I started watching, you know, how much time are they actually learning new dances and doing this versus just scrolling, scrolling through, through other 30 seconds. Videos. Yeah, yeah, right. And and the ratio isn't isn't in their favor. So Right. Be careful of their tricks and try and stay one step ahead of them. Actually, more realistically, try and stay only one step behind them because they will always, <laughs> they'll always be ahead of us. They're just too smart. They really are. And you have a chapter that I really liked about taking photos. And specifically, you talk about taking photos that focus on different aspects of your personality instead of just taking photos that show off how you look. And I think you have a, you make a really good point in here that says, you know, if you're at the beach, instead of taking photos of yourself in a fashionable swimsuit, lying in a sexy pose on the sand, illustrating how beautiful you are, take a photo of yourself in a fashionable swimsuit, surfing the waves, illustrating how adventurous you are, or take a photo of yourself in a fashionable swimsuit, reading at the beach, showing how intellectual you are, or take a photo of yourself in a fashionable swimsuit, swimming in the ocean, showing how athletic you are. You know, I think it's a great point because it's like you have to think of the fact that you're building a brand for yourself with every piece of media that you create and that someone's going to have to glance at that and figure out, you know, what do you stand for? Who are you? And like companies, when they're trying to figure out what their brand is, they come up with like a few words that they want or like a few adjectives or characteristics that they want to communicate to the consumer about, you know, what is this brand? What does this company stand for? And you kind of have to do the same thing for yourself today, I think, because people aren't going to give you a huge chance and go deep and inspect everything about you. They're going to take a glance at your social media profiles or take a glance at some of your content and instantly start developing ideas about who they think you are. And so it's like you have to be really clear about what it is that you want to communicate. And then, like you say, it's like every picture that you take, everything that you post has to just in some way be hitting on kind of one of those things. But so I wonder like what you can do as a parent to teach that to kids or is that also about modeling and, um, you know, doing the same thing in your own social media or uh, about having conversations? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I think actions always speak louder than words. So, you know, I, I think you could tell them a million different things, but if you're, if you're being a bad example, yeah, it's going to be hard to counteract that. Yeah. But even if you're not on social media at all, you know, this is a really, really tough one to deal with because 
you know, you're fighting a, a billion or trillion dollar ad industry, right? That, you know, most of what we see is focused on beauty and body image and looks. And listen, the other thing that was difficult about giving this piece of advice to kids was, you know, I honestly think the best piece of advice is just stay off social media when you're young yeah. because who needs it? But realistically, that's just not going to happen, right? Uh, the, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. So I try and tell teens, think of it in terms that they're used to, right? Which is how you just described it as a brand. They look at a photo in a magazine or online or on TV and for that one photo says a lot about what the brand means and stands for and does. Yeah, right. And so just realize that you post something online that is advertising for you. That is your brand. And it's not just your brand today, but it's your brand ultimately for the rest of your life. Right. Because it's on the internet forever. It never goes um, away. It never goes away. And that's not to say you can't reinvent yourself a million times, but it is to say that it, it all accumulates and it becomes part of your narrative. And so, you know, the, the difficult part is acknowledging that, listen, some kids want to be known simply for their beauty. And is that awful? Well, I don't think it's awful. I mean, we have a whole modeling industry and, and we don't think those people are, are awful people. But I think at the teenage years, that's where all the focus is. It's always on your looks and your body and your fashion. Yeah. And I think as you get older, most of those people decide, you know what? I want my focus now to be on uh, being a great doctor or being a great architect or being a, a great janitor or being a great person. And so counteracting that once you get older, when all this stuff is out there about yourself and, and, and by the way, not just the, the images themselves, but you've built all the people around you to think of you as the person who poses at the beach in a bikini and is, right. you know, has the best body or the best face or the best, whatever. So you have to counteract all your friends and social circles. Mm. You know, I think this is one of those parenting issues where you, you find the right balance, right? And eventually it'll click to them. Hey, you know what? You know, I'm sick of people saying, Oh, I saw your post. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. Uh. I want them to say, Oh, I saw your post. You're so smart. You're so great yeah. at singing. You're so great at whatever. It's a tough thing to balance. I have to say that that was that's it's a really it's a really difficult thing for parents and for teens. I think to to juggle. So, and there's so much pressure depending on how many likes things get. Um, yeah. That you start finding out like, wow, it gets a lot more likes when I just kind of um, do it this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and that's awful, right? Like. Like that's exactly what our teens are learning, right? They're, they're, they're measuring themselves on likes and they're realizing that the more skin they show or the more makeup they put on yeah. or the sexier they pose, the more likes they get. And we have to try and figure out a way to teach them that there are better ways of getting likes. There are more valuable likes, right? It is better yeah, to get 10 likes. 10 likes. Equal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm stealing that. That's exactly true, right? Like yeah. I'd rather get 10 likes from look at how smart you are uh, versus, you know, a hundred likes from look at how beautiful you are. Of course, that's from someone like me who's got a, a face for radio, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we do what we can. Another piece of great advice I really liked in here was about relationships and specifically about keeping in touch with your friends 
when you're in a relationship and not getting so completely 100% uh, in the relationship that you just, you know, six months go by and you haven't talked to any of your friends. So why is this important and how do we teach this to our teenagers, especially uh, if they are really excited and, um, you know, gung-ho about this new person? Yeah. So, um, you know, don't neglect your friends for your significant other, right? Great advice. Number 10. And it's a big one because teenagers, that's the time when they get their first crush, right? And they get their first boyfriend or girlfriend. And of course, something new and exciting like that, you want to just ramp it up, amp it up to a hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. And, um, and you can't blame them for that. And because it is exciting and, and, and it makes them happy and, and that's great. But, you know, if you look at all the science behind happiness, right, the number one driver of happiness is relationships Mm. and, but it's relationships, right? It's not just that Uh. one person that you get everything from, even in a marriage, right? If you're only relating to your spouse or your partner, you're, you're in trouble, right? You need to have other relationships that define you. So um, I think that's what we have to teach our, our teens is, you know, this new relationship is really exciting. Just don't spend 100% of your time with them and, yeah. and find the right balance, right? And, and by the way, I do feel like, especially when a girl or a boy get a new relationship, I think it's totally fine to have that take over their life for a, a time yeah. in, a, in a big way. So meaning 90 or 80% of your time you spend there, but you got to keep those friendships because most people do not marry the person, the first person they date. Right. So at some point there's going to be a breakup. And if you haven't kept in touch with your friends for six months and now your, your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you and you're left with no boyfriend or girlfriend and all your friends are gone away, now you've got nothing. And that makes that breakup 10 times harder. We're here with Mark Feinberg talking about how parents can give awesome advice to teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. We should try and teach our kids this. It is not easy. It wasn't easy for me to figure out. But what I tried to do is say, listen, doing most of this stuff, vaping for sure, drugs for sure, even drinking as a teen, especially as a young teen, but even as an older teen, is setting yourself up for failure and is, and is a dumb thing to do. A close friend of mine whose daughter, he confronted and said, are you vaping? And she said, no, I'm not vaping. I'm not vaping. And then two months later, he caught her vaping. She's been vaping the whole time. And she said, you know, I I can't stop. Can't stop. Mm. And so, so he said, okay, you know, I'm going to buy you the vaping cartridges because they're not safe to buy from your friends because some of them are dangerous. And we're going to measure how many vaping cartridges you use a week. And we're going to aim for this amount. And if you feel like you need more than that, you're going to come to me. And at some point, if, if we can't keep it at a certain level, you're going to agree that we're going to go get help together. And they literally signed a contract and, and this father's buying vaping cartridges for her, his daughter, which sounds like awful parenting on the surface. But in the end, I think it's probably fantastic because last I heard, she doesn't have a vaping problem, right? It hasn't gotten out of control. It's not great that she's vaping, but he knows exactly how much she's doing and he knows where she's getting it from. And he's doing it in the smartest, safest way possible. (laughs) 
Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.